So last episode, we talked a lot about the church, talked a little bit about us. And I think that'll be sprinkled throughout all of the episodes. We're going to talk about church. We're going to talk about culture, talk about lots of different aspects where we get into this whole rising and falling thing, if you would. But I think particularly today, we'll talk a lot about the church. And I think there's people who are disgruntled would be the word I would think of when I think of how people, they're more than disconnected. I think there's some people who are disconnected, but there are others who they're intentionally disconnected because they're disgruntled. And some of that may be because of something that happened to them. Others, it could be something that happened by them. And so now they don't feel like they can come back. And I don't think either of those situations are a situation that are irreparable. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to understand that the church is a beautiful institution. It is a beautiful family, if you allow it to be. But it is imperfect. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it is imperfect is because it is human. And so part of the goal would be for us as humans to become, and it's a line that I say a lot, that we would become less like us and more like him. And so today, hopefully, I am less like myself than I was yesterday, and I am more like Jesus. Right. We just finished doing church. Like I call it doing church. We just finished our two services, and our second service was baby dedications, which I would be undershooting by saying there were 100 extra people here this Sunday Second service alone for the families of those who are being dedicated. The kids are being dedicated. And there is a different kind of spiritual feel and weight that you have as a pastor when you know that every week we have people who come in, they're either new to Jesus, new to church altogether, but then to have like you you see droves of people walking in that you can tell, right? Like I go, are you here for baby dedication? Because you could tell they walked in very slowly mm. and then they didn't look happy to be here. Right. Right. And they I were did, here out of duty. Yes. It was the grandma and grandpa, the great grandma and grandpa, the aunts and uncles. And you could tell by some of their body language this was the most uncomfortable place they've ever stepped foot into. I also noticed that if I talked to some people, what I felt, what I discerned in my spirit in the lobby as I met up with people is that there was a whole story mm-hmm. for every single person that walked in. And so the church does represent, and when we say the church, I think we need to make it clear. We're talking the institution of the church from Presbyterian, Catholic, non-denominational assembly of God, you know, what Mormons, some people right. would group and say Mormons, right? Or Seventh-day Adventists. And right. Although we, those two aren't part of the church. Right. That is not part of the church because that is they not. They have incredible marketing though, particularly the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons who are trying to market themselves as a part of the evangelical church, but they're not, which is a whole nother sidebar about abuse of something that represents itself as something that it's not, which I think in truth, some of the churches that I've attended, although they weren't a cult like Mormonism would be, they are, they are also a bad representation of what the mm-hmm. church is supposed to be. And so, so it gets intermingled. I right. Think. Can let's, for our listeners, make it very clear. The church would include 
the churches, even though they have different ways of doing things, the the church would be those that ascribe to Jesus as the Savior, that we go to him to have our salvation, that we pray to him? Or would you say the net is wider? Because we know that on um, the Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they would not say that Jesus was the part of the way. Trinity. Yeah, they and would say he, some of them. Some of them would say that Jesus is a way, which, which is which is why it gets confusing for some people. They just wouldn't say when you get into the inner workings of it. They wouldn't say that he is the way. And so I, I think it's interesting to make a delineation between the church as an institution and the church as a body. For us, we have a certain set of beliefs. And first and foremost in that is that we are saved by faith through grace, through Jesus, through him coming, being born, living a sinless life, dying a sinner's death, raising from the dead and doing that to stand in the gap for us and to be uh, a substitutionary death for us, which just means he died for us. I think anybody that wants to call themselves can call themselves a church. But if they don't build themselves on that foundation, I don't believe that they're a part of the church that I would subscribe to. Now, you can have all sorts of different beliefs in and of that, and there are. There's lots of different denominational beliefs or statements of faith that that would branch off and that wouldn't believe some of the things that we believe. For example, the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Not every church agrees on that. But at the end, no other name but the name of Jesus. No one will come to the Father except through me. Jesus said, no one can be saved except through Jesus. And so you can have your thoughts on Trinitarian situations, whether there is three in one, whether it is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that there's just one and it is characteristics of one. And so I I don't think that this podcast is, I don't think we're here to get into the minutia of that, but there is a history of the church and it goes way back. It goes way back before any of the institutions that we recognize or that would populate any of our cities. It goes before the Holy Catholic Church. It goes before, obviously, the Assemblies of God, which is so much newer than the Catholic Church. Well, and I think that the reason it's important to bring it up is because people are like, should I be more... Particular, should I be reading the statement of faith on a website of a church before I go? Or I don't really care to, but when I get into arguments or discussions with people at work and they, they seem so intelligent and they're like, you know, this didn't even exist until 1947. Right. I had a lady this week say, I had someone say, you know, that that word didn't even exist that you Christians used till 1947. Well, one, that was news to me, but the person told her it so confidently. And so I think this kind of goes to our first point we were going to talk about anyway today, is that you said that this predates the church, this predates uh, established religion, the point of Jesus. Jesus as the one we pray to and through, Jesus as our only way to God. In fact, the, the disciples, this was right after Jesus ascended, uh, he's, they said, we're following the way. He was the way. Uh, can you speak to that? Because I think some will say, well, the church wasn't established for, 
for years and years after Jesus. And what does, how, they did synagogue back then. Why do we do church? Well, yeah, you just said that it's, in the beginning it was called the way. It's just a gathering of people to build each other's faith. It's, it's why the scriptures say that we shouldn't forsake our gathering together. It's not just for the sake of worship. It's not just for corporate worship. It is for corporate worship, but it's also so that we can support one another. Life's hard, man. You try to do this thing alone, mm-hmm. just never mind trying to do faith alone. Just try to do life alone. I mean, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and that's going to date this podcast. But, you know, this coming week is Thanksgiving. And there's people that we know who are going to do Thanksgiving alone, and that creates a void in them. And if nothing else, in the beginning, that's the, that goes <laughs> way back, in the beginning, in the in the formation of the church it was this beautiful idea of gathering together and loving one another and supporting one another. And somewhere along the line, we've turned it into an institution. And I even did it myself at the beginning of this podcast. I said, it's a beautiful institution. But when you think about institutions, even that word institution, it brings up to me incarceration Mm -hmm. or like I'm in one flew over the cuckoo's nest and me and chief are trying to throw the sink through the window and escape. But it's like, it, it isn't an institution. It is... It's just a group of people who love one another and love Jesus and are building one another up. And some people are called to lead those as like a speaker or as a singer, but we're all called to support them and to lift them up. And so even going back in into the book of Acts, it was this gathering of people who then wanted to spread the message of Jesus. And so let's spread the message of Jesus. And then every person who we have convinced of the way Let's then gather together again and as a group of people who have all come to that same realization that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to the Father except through him, let's gather together and let's celebrate that point and support one another because all of us have our own struggles. But somewhere along the line, it it's, it's become different than that. It's become less than that. And for some people, it's become a corporation. For some people, it's... It's become a movement, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, no matter how big or no matter how small the church that you attend or lead is, the point of that is to teach people about Jesus, to send them out, to teach other people about Jesus, and then to regather together once a week so that we can celebrate what we learned about Jesus. Yeah, I, I want to share what I've shared in Growth Track for years, and that's that when I was in, when we were in Bible college, I was a Mary Kay lady. And you know this, I got my red jacket and every week I would drive one way to Fargo, North Dakota, three hours. And then that Thursday night, I would drive home three hours and I would go weekly. And if you had earned a certain amount, had enough parties, talked to enough people, you'd earn gold medals. Mm -hmm. And so I had these long gold bars and then there were these medals I could earn. So I'd jingle all the way down the hotel, small banquet room to get my next award. And then I got uh, three months into a four-month qualification for my Red Grand Am, the first car in Mary Kay. And I wonder what that car is now. The first level? Pontiac doesn't exist. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, carry on, so, not to interrupt. Um, so I was three months into the four month of qualification. You had to have, you know, like 16,000 in revenue per month or profit, something like that. And so after my third month, I'm like, man, my national sales director thinks I'm awesome, is speaking life over me, is speaking vision, and I could be the national sales director soon. And I've almost got my car. 
And winter was coming, and I determined, you know what? It's going to start to snow in North Dakota, and I'm I'm okay. I got this. I mean, look at how much I've earned, how much I know. Mm. And so I quit going once a week. And in my third month, I'm sorry, my fourth and last month, I didn't qualify. Yeah. Because in a three-week time of missing three weekly meetings, everything dropped off. And I remember, and I have remembered that every time, every time when I talk to someone about churches and is church important, does church get you saved? No, because there's people that go to church their whole life, they're drugged to church. We have teenagers who they want to, you know, they're getting to an age where they have said or will say, you know, if I keep going to church, I may not want to go when I grow up. And we know people who are like, I was raised in the church, you know, it just turned me off, right? Right. And so when I've had that discussion with people, I've said, I know that I didn't quit being a Mary Kay lady. I still had the ability to sell, to earn money, but I didn't stay on task. I And I went backwards, just plain and simple, yep. by not having those weekly check-ins. And it was other women who were doing the same thing and who were helping me in my journey. And I thought about that. And the second thing that makes me um, really excited about being a church person who also understands there's churches that probably do Jesus a disservice, and there's pastors that probably do Jesus a disservice. I will acknowledge both yeah. of those things. But the reason I'm a church nerd, or I think it's it's valuable, is uh, Rabbi Matt was here a month or so ago at our church in Life Church, and he was saying that he wore home a What Would Jesus Do bracelet mm-hmm. uh, to his dad, and his dad is a rabbi and in Brooklyn. And so Matt was always excited and interested in the church in the Gentile way. <laughs> and he's a Messianic rabbi now, but he said he came home as a teenager with a what would Jesus do bracelet on, a WWJD. And his dad said, what is that? <laughs> and he said, and his dad obviously believes Jesus because he's a Messianic rabbi. Jesus is the way. Right. But he said, uh, what is that? And Matt said, well, it's what would Jesus do? And his dad paused and said, you know what Jesus would do? Matt said what? He said he'd go to synagogue. Mm -hmm. And it took me about two weeks for it to sink in. I think that his dad's point was Jesus was Jewish. He would have went to synagogue. This bracelet came from church. So, you know, our context of what we think Jesus would do. I think also it points back to Jesus was a practicing Jew. And so when we think about why do we do church together in a building? Why do we gather? Why can't it be you know, out in a forest and it's only me and I'm having my church time, right? Jesus did this synagogue format where it was in a building and people were actually almost like more like a gymnasium where you sit on all four sides, sitting on these stone bleachers, basically, facing one another with the Torah, the scripture opened up in the middle and towards the front, like we have a pulpit today, reading the scripture to the people in the synagogue. So when we say, is church relevant, should we throw it away? The model, ultimately, if Jesus would go to synagogue and did, there's a bit of a model right there. Right. Well, and when he was a devout Jew, I mean, he was Jewish in all ways. He wasn't just Jewish in his, in his race. He was, he was Jewish in all of his practices. He, he practiced all the festivals. He prayed all the prayers. He was as devout as devout could get. He was perfect even in that delivery. And I think it's interesting how, like, particularly in the 80s and maybe going forward into the 90s, it was this huge movement 
to take all liturgy out of church, mm-hmm. that that was the thing that was driving people away. It's, it's not liturgy that drove people away. You can say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. You can recite the Apostles' Creed at the end of your service. You could sing the doxology. And none of those things are bad. It's not those things that are bad. Those, those things actually can be beautiful. And I think there's actually a resurgence now among the next generation to kind of come back to that because it's almost that church got so watered down that as many people as were wounded by by the liturgy of church, there's been a whole generation of people who have been wounded by the fact that that there have been churches that have been so afraid to offend people that they've said that you can live however you want and God is just a God of grace. And so there are some people who they've been hurt by a church not saying enough. And there's some people who have been hurt by a church saying too much. It's a matter of the delivery system. And so Pastor Buntane used to say, you can say anything you want as long as you say it in love. That's part of the church, part of this idea of gathering together as a group, a body of people who are all interconnected and feel each other's pulse. Being able to look at someone and love them enough to say, I love you, and because I love you, I think you should address this in your life, and I'll help you with it, and I'll walk this road with you, and then leave that choice up to them. But the problem is there's so many different churches that have come along, and and they've used the tools of guilt and shame. I don't think shame has ever connected somebody to Jesus. And so we have to find that balance as church people, not just you and I as pastors, but people who become a part of a church in becoming a part of that body that says, we we need there to be a proper pulse. We need there to be a proper flow of the blood. And, and when church is done right, mm. when church is done healthy, when church is done in the way that God wants it to be done, it doesn't mean that, th- that you won't have people that walk away and they're hurt. Here's the thing. There are people who have walked away from the church hurt, and that wasn't the church's fault. So yes, there are churches that have been damaging, but there are also churches that, that they've been blamed for being damaging because of something that they said or that they did that they meant in love, but that that person wasn't ready to hear. And so we can get rid of the concept of church, but there's still going to be people who are offended by other people. You can gather together as a group of believers, or you can just be a single believer, like you talked about out in the woods. And there's going to be somebody who you talk to at some point, if you're honest with them, you're going to hurt their feelings. Well, and I think that when we're hurt, we make sweeping statements, right? We've kind of made, even in our home, with our kids and with each other, let's not use the terms always and never. Anything that you do a big sweep of, this grandiose statement, just probably is unfair. And I think about the church when talked about negatively, it becomes, oh, the church has hurt me. Almost like every church on every block has had an opportunity to come beat you up spiritually. Now, here's the deal. One, there's real church hurt. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast too, is for people who have been hurt or maybe people who have hurt people that us as pastors have to wake up a bit and realize. Uh, But to have a sweeping statement, it's like to say this. I hate all restaurants. <laughs> all. Yeah. Now, 
even if I were to just say I hate all Italian restaurants, I've at least narrowed it down to I've probably eaten bad lasagna too right. many to enjoy it. But to say I hate all restaurants, that's unfair. Yeah. But but what happens to the church? And I some would say, well, that's a weird comparison. No, I think it's a really good comparison because here's the thing. Why do I not like one restaurant, but I love another? And the only difference is the chef. Who is the chef at a church? That's the pastor. The the pastor and the leadership team are the ones serving up the word of God, which Jesus said, I'll give you bread and water. You will never thirst or hunger again to the woman at the well. Jesus was trying to train disciples and then apostles. And now us as pastors and leaders, our job is to give the word of God because it's far more important. So we're serving this up to people. But sometimes the chef is just, not very good at this church or or this restaurant, I should say. Now I'm combining yeah. them. And I haven't written off all restaurants because I for sure had bad food at a chef. And then over here, it's a cook. I will that say this, though. That person isn't culinary. To, to play devil's advocate to your point, there are certain restaurants that you have written off. There are certain chain restaurants yes. that you have written off that if, that if myself or one of our children were to suggest that we go to I won't, say, I won't say the name of one, but there there are a handful of restaurants who who you have written off. And if we recommend them, you will act like they are all trash. But but there are some of those even chain restaurants hmm. that I would go, it's the, your point still proves valid even on that. If you were to go to the middle of the road chain restaurant that you find in every town and mm-hmm. every state, there might be some of those who there's a chef who's an up and comer. Mm. Let me give you an example. This isn't one of the restaurants you've written off, so I won't put you out there. I I actually really like Olive Garden. But I have been to some Olive Gardens that aren't very good. I've been to some Olive Gardens that are amazing. I really love Olive Garden when I'm on the Daniel Fast because I can eat all the salad and all the soup that I want. I used to love the Tour of Italy. Love the Tour of Italy. And then one day I got a bad one. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't have the tour of Italy for a long time. But interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with somebody and, and they brought up Olive Garden. And they said, did you know that when an Olive Garden opens, they usually have a, a specified chef who comes in and he works there for a period of time. He's like a, a high-end chef and he trains all the other chefs on how to properly make those dishes. And if you hit Olive Garden, this is my friend, Mm. said, I went to an Olive Garden in such and such a city. And he said, it was literally, it was the best fettuccine Alfredo (laughs) I've ever had in my life. And this dude's eaten all over the world. He's, he's got family that's lived in Italy and they've, he's eaten fettuccine Alfredo in Italy. He said, the best fettuccine Alfredo I've ever had in my life. He just happened to go to the right Olive Garden on the right day and find the right chef. And so there are people who have gone, well, I don't eat at Olive Garden because they're too uppity. Now, some people, to them, Olive Garden's a fancy restaurant. But to other people, they're like, well, I don't eat at Olive Garden. I've been there. It's like the McDonald's of Italian restaurants. But you can't, like you said, you can't write them all off just, just because of that. And there's some of them that are chains. And this is like in the church world. Like there's, there's some churches that they look like they've been made on an assembly line. And they're they're just pressed out and pushed out. But but there's value, and it so parallels the church because chains, if they're in different cities, go to a denomination you're familiar mm-hmm. with in another city. You're going to be more. If you're Assembly of God in this city and you move across country, if you find an Assembly of God 
and you liked the last one, it's gonna possibly be a better fit. But if you were raised Presbyterian and you go to another town and you find a Presbyterian, you might be like, I really, that is my comfort level. I also think to your point of getting that chef the first, wow. If that's not why you see people, and pastors, you need to hear this. If you see people who are with you in the beginning and then they go somewhere else, could they have felt like, man, when that when that guy or gal first came in, man, yeah. I got their best. They were doing coffee appointments with everybody in the 30-person congregation. And now they've grown from 30 to 300, and I never get coffee with yeah. them. You did get the best. You got the, you got the pastor, and you got him in the lobby for 30 minutes every Sunday. Yeah. But now you don't. And so that's your prerogative, right? But I don't need to leave Olive Garden. And, and you're to your point, yeah, there's places that other people wouldn't know they're off my radar for restaurants. I don't need to go around blasting other this chain, but I can be honest with the family say, yeah, I don't want to go to that chain. Right. But I don't need to hate on that chain. That honestly is consistency. If we went to Timbuktu, which we've done, and we're like, oh my gosh, good. They've got a... Johnny Carino's or an Applebee's and we haven't, we don't know anything else in this yep. little town. There is, there is value in that. So it's, it, you preached about it today in the division and, and that, you know, we can, we can hate and get angry, but that sweeping statement of all churches or all of this denomination, like if you have a bad experience with a Baptist church you don't have to assume all Baptist churches are bad. Right. Well, with churches, you have the same benefit that you have the restaurants, though. You have the power of the internet. Absolutely. Now, there's false stuff on the internet. Not everything that you read is true. And I've had f- false things written about me online. But, you know, what I've discovered is is as we grew, we fell victim to that thing that you're talking about. We fell victim to the fact that, now, I'm still in the lobby I try to be every week. Every time that I preach, I try to leave and go be out in the lobby and love on people because I'm in the church business because I love people right. and because I want to see people come to Jesus. Like, uh, am I bummed out if I don't preach a good message? Absolutely. But but I'm, I'm more bummed out if somebody doesn't get saved. If we don't have mm-hmm. multiple people get saved or commit their lives to Jesus on a Sunday, then I'm really bummed. And I could have preached a killer message, or as my grandpa would say, I could have preached a humdinger and nobody got saved. That was a waste of my time yes. because I'm in, time. I'm in the business of seeing people come to Jesus and become more like him. Now, do I have less time than I had to do the other things that I had to do when we first, you know, nine years ago when we came here, there's a hundred people here. Of course I have less time to do that, but I'm doing other things that God has called me to do. And if people are going to get plugged into the church, then that becomes their responsibility to do some of the things that I don't have time to do anymore. And that's this idea of making disciples. And it doesn't have to be another pastor. It can be any person who comes here. And one of the things that I pride myself in is I never begrudge somebody when they leave. It's their prerogative. If you leave a church, there was somebody here today, I haven't seen them in seven years. And I walked up, I gave them the biggest hug because I love them. I'm in this business. Now, there are some pastors, let's be frank, because if we're talking about the church and we're talking about, you know, this idea of the rise and the fall and the, the rise after the fall, there are some pastors who aren't in this for that. They're in this to build a kingdom. They're in this to build a movement. And so 
we have to be cautious. Like when you when you come into a town, find somebody who went to that church, find out what that guy was like, but somebody who knew him, not somebody who was a consumer and they left because that pastor didn't have enough time for them or because he preached something that they, that they didn't like or that they didn't agree with. And, and here's another aside note. Now you got me off on a soapbox. Here's another aside note. If you go to a church and you've been connected and plugged in for a period of time, and then you feel like, this isn't the thing that you want to do anymore. Either, either have a conversation with the pastor and those conversations suck. And I know that you're going to look across the table at me right now and go, well, I don't want to have those conversations. Those conversations do suck, but at least it gives that guy an opportunity to, to either own what it is that you said or to refute what it is that you said. But too many people leave churches with machine guns mm-hmm. and they go out spraying everybody that they Back can out the door. Out the door. Yep. And so it is It is an imperfect product, right. the church. And back to the restaurant thing, to your point, don't, don't, like, we don't have to, and I don't think we do, maybe some people do, leave a restaurant they hated and they, like, tell everybody. I don't know. Maybe there's those Yelpers. I guess there's those Yelper people. Remember when I ki- our kids wrote, read Yelp in the voice they figured the person who wrote it oh, yeah, was? Yeah. And it got really funny because yeah. the more crazy the Yelp review, the more our kids' voices sounded like a character. There are those, you addressed that again this morning, the people who hate to hate, right? And and so could could you leave somewhere? Could you leave a restaurant and just go, yep, well, that stinks. I even feel like I wasted my money on that meal, but I don't have to go and blast them on Yelp or tell everybody I know. Is that just not my flavor of restaurant? Do I go over here? But do I just write off restaurants altogether? No. Do I just write off the church altogether? No. And, and to the next point that I wanted to stop, us to talk about is how the city that the church is in that you may have been hurt or that you may have had a hard time with, how that city can affect. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about culture and history of a city, history of a culture of people. I really want to get into that in the ones to come. But don't you think it's people are different, churches are different, even pastors are different in different regions and cities of our country? Certainly, I think every city, well, first of all, I think every city has a spirit, Mm. but you could get into that as far as the supernatural, but every city has a personality, certainly. We have a different personality than Chicago. Chicago has a different personality than New York. Those those people, I mean, even with accents, I think it's interesting. There's different personalities in the South as there are in the West Coast. And and some of that's just natural. Some of that's just the lifestyle out there. So obviously, if you live in Southern California, you're going to have a different atmosphere than if you live in Birmingham, Alabama. They're just a totally different environment. But there is a different spirit over every city too. And I think that that's been generational. There are different things that sit over top of every city. And that's the opposition that comes against the people who live there and the people who try to do churches there. Like when we came to Green Bay and they told us that it was a graveyard for pastors. And there has been opposition here. There are different spirits here. I've been very frustrated over the last number of weeks over the amount of alcohol that is consumed in our city. And I'm praying that God will give me the right words to say. It was at the Packer game last week. And and there were two girls that came into the seat behind us. They were they were adults. They were they were probably 30. And 
and then their brother and their parents joined them. And when, when the one sister got there, she was already inebriated. And not only was she inebriated, but she, she was tacky. It was like she, she just didn't have any couth. And, and she was kind of being obnoxious. And then they continued to drink throughout the game. And these were attractive gals. They, they were just normal looking. I mean, they weren't. I'll just stop there. They were. Normal people. They just made themselves look so ugly as the game went on. And, and uh, in the fourth quarter, the girl who was inebriated when they got there already and continued to consume alcohol physically fell forward off her seat into the person in front of her. That she didn't know. No, she didn't know this. But she mm. just like literally lost just her fell. lost her whole equilibrium. She was too inebriated to even continue to stand up and watch the game. And I was I've just for the last few weeks been so bothered by that. And that's a spirit. Yeah. It's a spirit of addiction. Well, it's that's called spirits. Over, right. <laughs> yes, it's true. There's a spirit of addiction over our town. Mm-hmm. And so you have to approach our town differently than you would approach a town that doesn't have that spirit over it. And so when you leave one town, let's, I'm not even talking about pastors, but like if you're somebody who, like you said, maybe you get transferred with your job and you go to another city, it doesn't mean if you go to a Presbyterian church here that when you get to a Presbyterian church in Bellingham, Washington, that it is going to be the same spirit that's on it because that pastor has been called to fight something <laughs> mm-hmm. different. And so what is it that you you have been called to fight in your city? And but But to not do it in an ugly way. Like there are things in this city that need, in our city, that need to be broken. Mm-hmm. And and there are different churches in our city who have been called to do it differently. With different people in their yes. congregation. And yes. so here's the thing. If you come, if you live in Green Bay and you come to church here, we, we have a, we, we all have the same mission. Mm-hmm. We just don't all have the same agenda. So like our mission is to win our city to Jesus, but my assignment in that mission is different than the assignment that's been given to, there's 90 churches probably in this town and they all have a different assignment because we can't do everything. Like we we're, we have certain things that God has called us and some people are gonna come here and you're not gonna feel like you're called to that. But what we're talking about is two different things. We're talking about the function of a church and and the abuse of a church, because there are people who have been abused by a church, and it ha- they haven't been abused because they don't agree with the style that the guy mm-hmm. preaches in. There are there are whole cover ups in the church world. I mean, it's we just there is some some trash that has gone on, and it's not just in one brand of the church. We hear about one particular brand a lot, and then we ascribe to that brand that that's where people like they have pedophiles that run those churches. Not all of them, some of them, and not everybody who is a inappropriate in, in a way with kids isn't part of that movement. But there are some people who have been messed with in the mm-hmm. church. They've been physically messed with. They've been emotionally ble- messed with. They've been spiritually messed with. And so obviously, if I go somewhere and somebody's inappropriate with me or they or they like wrong me, I don't want to go back to that one or any other one. But what we have to establish is the fact that don't, as a pastor, let me just say this. I have never been inappropriate the way that some like that somebody who messed with some kid has been inappropriate. So I don't want to be grouped in that. Right. Now, right. do I have my own do I have my own things that I've had to work out since I became a pastor? Nothing like that. Mm. 
but there are certainly things I've had to work out with. Like, like I had struggled with pride for a long time. I thought I was a pretty big deal. And so because of that, in my pride, there were things that I was flippant about. Early on in ministry, there were times that I would preach, but not prepare. And so because of that, there were people that got a fraction of what they should have gotten, or they didn't get what God wanted them to get because I didn't say what God wanted me to say because I hadn't spent the appropriate time or any time with him. And so, yes, I didn't, I didn't uh, like, uh, damage someone in the way that somebody else damaged them, but I still have to bear the responsibility of the fact that because I was struggling with pride, which is a sin, right? It's one of the seven deadly sins if you're in a liturgical church. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And so I struggled with pride. And I'm talking about like 20 years ago where I would get up and I thought this whole thing was about me. Look at me, talk to me, ask for my autograph, buy my book, buy my CDs, buy my DVDs. And yet I'm at 11 o'clock at night. I'm not in my hotel room praying. I'm 11 o'clock on a Saturday night watching the college football game. I'm not getting ready for this service. Like now, that's not the case. Well, I was going to say, now no. I see or hear why now. I mean, you you have a standard for yourself that's in the 30s, 30s in hours a week. Yeah that you prepare for a message because you feel and you own the scripture to whom much is given, right. much is required. So you have definitely, it's like this, this correction. Right. And some never correct. They don't even uh, overcorrect. They don't mm-hmm. even try to correct. And that's not okay. That's last po- podcast. We talked about accountability. Do you not have a, a father, a mother, a accountability, a board, mm-hmm. people who are keeping you accountable who would say, there's got to be some correction here. Like I've, I, I'm seeing this in you. Right. So there's things that my point of all that is that there are things that have damaged people that they're then taking and holding against someone else mm-hmm. and, and taking this whole big collective called the church and holding them account for someone who wasn't really a good representation of the church anyway. Yeah. So in this this idea of people who have been wounded by churches, and I think I said this last episode. I, I mean, I'll take responsibility for it. I like if some if you're listening to this and some pastor did something wonky, I'm sorry for that, yeah. and God is sorry for that. Mm-hmm. That guy was a bad representation of who God. And, and we've been in cities and we've led in cities where there have been dudes and girls who have been a bad representation of that and it has damaged and here's the thing at the end of the day they're going to be held accountable for that well and we've talked about how frustrating we are to wonder why did god let them grow why did god let them because that's how we verbalize it as humans right why did god let them get so big and then they have a fall and what if they would have fallen at 100 people that they were influencing rather than nationwide tens of thousands of people but i think we, our finite mind can't wrap it ourselves around the fact that this isn't a god ordained for them to do this but will we ever fully understand no and and i th- what I really love about what you're saying is because when we group a bad experience and being hurt into all church, this isn't about we want you to get over your pain and hurt and we want you to come back to church because you need to give church a chance. What we're saying is for the sake of you who have been hurt by abuse, for the sake of you, we we want you to heal. 
right? Yeah. We're not saying you need to buck up and get over it. Right. And, and like, you know, in the beginning of this podcast where it's like, is the church important? Is it not? Some people are so hurt by the church, they don't really care about that argument if the church is relevant or not. They're just like, I'm done, I'm hurt. Right. And we're just saying that when it's done right, which not everyone is done right, not every pastor has the right intention, but it doesn't mean that if one doesn't, they all don't. And we want healing and wholeness for you, but we also want you to to give Jesus a try again. And if that means giving Jesus and the whole God thing a new fresh start before you step into a church to see if it's safe, that's the first step. Well, I, I think with such an old adage, I don't know where it started, but this idea that hurt people hurt people and healed people heal people, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that has prompted us to want to restore pastors. Mm-hmm. First of all, because we were damaged. We And we'll get more into this as the episodes go on. But we had a mercurial rise and a mercurial fall. What I mean by that is that we had like a shot out of the cannon, man. We graduated from Bible college and boom, success everywhere that we went. But our, our success, we weren't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And so it was crushing. It's like when you shoot through the atmosphere, if if you don't if you don't have the right equipment to shoot through the atmosphere, you'll dissolve. You know, you can shoot the right ship through the atmosphere and it'll survive because it's been prepared. It's got the right heat shields. It's got the right materials that it's made out of. But we weren't made out of the right material in the beginning. And so because we fell and humbled ourselves and went through restoration, went through a long, grueling, painful, ugly process so that we could be requalified to come back. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I never thought that we would be successful the second time. But by the grace of God, we've been more successful. But I think that there are people who are leading churches who are are hurt. They're wounded. They were hurt Mm -hmm. by the past. And so... Because they're not healthy, then they're making other people. They're infecting other people with the things that they haven't been healed of. And uh, I haven't, I think for a long time, I had that same theory that you just talked about, about, well, why is God blessing them and why are they growing? And honestly, over the last number of months, I've kind of come up with a different theory on that. It's not tested. Tell us. I think it's right. I think that there are some churches who are growing that God isn't blessing them difficult for blessings and curses to live in the same environment. I think that there are some churches that are growing because the devil is blessing them. Wow. I think that there are some pastors that the devil is using as tools to destroy the lives of people. And I think, you know, like for a church like ours, we have so many people who get saved. I mean, we've had a number of years where there's been. Well, there's hundreds and hundreds of years. Sometimes it's a thousand. We we had one year, we had 1,200 people that got saved and it was bananas. It was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, But but there there are some churches who who they're being used as a tool, I believe, for people to come to Jesus and, and then when the pastor has a fall, they walk away. Like Satan knew they're going to give it one shot, so I'm going to make sure they go to this place where when they give God one shot or another shot, 
this pastor is going to wreck it for me There's on some, my behalf. Some people who are never going to try again. Yeah. And so the enemy's like, well, I'll let him have this experience once because I'm going to make this guy fall. And when I make this guy fall, then they'll never come back again. Which just makes me want to put my foot in the devil's throat and say, no. But of course, that's not what we do when we're hurt, right? Put our foot in the devil's neck? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to just, I, I just, sometimes I I get I get so upset that the devil not only wins once, but then he gets us to fight God like God was our enemy and God was the reason, you know? And I just, I'm like, man, if we could just call out what is the enemy, the enemy's attempt, the enemy being divisive and working through the church, which like you're saying is possible, and then just be so ready to fight the devil, but I think instead it's so easy to fight God. And why? Because Satan's in our ear. And you, like you said in the beginning, we come to Jesus because he was a sinless man. But it wasn't because he was without temptation. Right. He was tempted to curse God. We're tempted to curse God. And, and it's hard to not curse God when we're hurt, when we've been hurt by the church. But what you're saying about the church becoming this place where Satan is setting it up for a fall so that people will curse God and die. I mean, isn't that what uh, Job's friends told him to do? Yeah, yeah. Curse God and die. Well, the devil's been doing it from the beginning where he's been bringing God's word into doubt. Did God really say? And we talk about that in Journey to Wholeness a lot. Did God Did God really say? And, and the enemy wants to cast this doubt on us about... Um, the will of God in our lives. I mean, I don't believe theologically that God is looking for people to be punished. Mm-mm. I think the word is pretty clear when it says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I think that there's some people that are going to punish themselves. And that's why the power of this collective of a church, when you gather together, and when you lift the name of Jesus up and you represent him the way that he is being represented, it's the only hope and power for life change. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, like, uh, it's like putting a pebble in a gear. It doesn't take much, but if you put a pebble, just a tiny little pebble in, det- in, in between two gears, it seizes it up. And there's too many pastors... I'm going to want to make this whole podcast controversial. I just think that there's a lot of pastors that are wrecking it. Mm-hmm. And I think that too many of them get a free pass. Mm-hmm. And I think that too many of them don't, you know, like I played hockey, right? Loved hockey. But people who are, who are new to hockey, and I just was watching hockey the other day. Seattle just got a team, Seattle Kraken. And I was talking to a friend of mine who he's trying to get season tickets to the Seattle Kraken. And I said, why? He said, it's the only sport in the world we get to fight, this fist fight. I said, well, what about the UFC? He said, you know what I'm talking about, team sport. You go and he's got, you got five guys on five guys and they're out skating and some guy does something that makes the other guy mad, throws an elbow, hits him with the stick, whatever. Next thing you know, the, the gloves are dropped, the jerseys are pulled over their head and they are throwing bombs until one of them falls on the ice. And then the refs jump in and they separate them and the only thing that happens to them is they gotta go sit, they gotta go sit separately for five minutes. And each team is four on four. And you go, that's not much of a, that's not much of a discipline. 
But if you told a guy, now, I don't, it's, I mean, it's part of it. I mean, you go, I would be offending every Canadian if I said that there shouldn't be fighting in hockey. But if you, like, if you really wanted to eradicate fighting from hockey, that dude would get in a fight with that guy in the ice and you'd say, you don't get to play for the rest of the year and you don't get paid. <laughs> there would be a lot less guys fighting rather than saying, well, you get five minutes in a penalty box. And too many pastors get off. Too many pastors do too many things to too many people and there are no ramifications. And whether that's because they don't have a spiritual covering or they don't have a spiritual father, whatever that may be. And so there, I think that there's a a blend between these two things that if we're going to have a rise from the fall, we got to have a bunch of pastors who are, who have fallen. And that admit it. And admit it <laughs> yeah. and own it and, and get restored. Mm-hmm. Rather than then go plant a church go, down the yeah, road in that, the same city. Come on. There is some boldness there. I that, wanted to use a different word. Yeah, so that I'm going to go down the road with sin it's still in my brazen. life. It's, it's brazen. It's irresponsible. Yes. And they're leaving a wake of hurt people. And yet those people are confused. And now because that person is energetic or that person is magnetic or because that person's got talent, then suddenly... That person's going to hang his shingle down the road, like you said. And first of all, he's going to take 25% of the people in the church that he left because they didn't know what he did wrong. And then they're going to be fighting I on wish his I could, behalf. I wish I could use names in this. I well, won't. We, we've known him in every city. Yeah. I just, I just think the damage and the wake, like you said, that's been left in those people. So, And, and have I been guilty of that? That's where I have to go back to, you know, the last 25 years that I've been in ministry and say, what is it that I have done to play a part in this? And if I have played a part in that, then I need to own that and I need to be restored of that and I, and I need to do a reboot. And if I can't do that, I need to go do a different job. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, uh, the stakes are too high in this thing. With, with pastoring a church, the stakes are eternal to where there are people who, because of decisions that pastors have made, may spend eternity outside of the presence of God because of something that you did. And part of me, honestly, I think that that pastor should bear some weight of that responsibility. And I don't just think on earth. I think that an unrep- well, obviously, I think an unrepentant heart doesn't get to spend eternity with God. I think if we thought about the consequences of what we did more before we did them, we would do a lot less stuff. Well, and pastors, as you're listening, if you're listening to that point, you know, the Bible is clear that there is certain torment in hell for teachers of the law who led people astray. This isn't like, oh, you're going to get put on Watchtower, Lighthouse News, some Christian watch site, website. We're talking if you're truly, which God knows your heart, if you're truly there and not repentant, our promise in hell is a is a different level, a different torment. Right. That's that is the fear of the Lord that should be all over us. Yeah. So for people, so now on the other side of the coin, for people who have been hurt by the church, it wasn't it wasn't the church. It was a guy or a girl or a group of guys or a group of girls. It wasn't God. Certainly wasn't God. And God takes a lot of blame for things that we did. Mm -hmm. God gets a lot of credit for things he shouldn't get credit for. And so if a church has hurt you, there are churches in your town who won't. Mm -hmm. 
I can't tell you which ones they are, but there, there are pastors who have the most beautiful hearts. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and they all bring the, healing. Yeah, all they want mm-hmm. is to see people come to the kingdom. Yep. And, and there is a church like that in your town. And, and maybe that guy who's leading that church is someone like me who was wounded, but submitted himself to the process so that he, he would be healed. And so I would encourage you to do some research and not like there's a Christian Yelp, but ask some people mm-hmm. in your community, is there a church there that is pure and, and not perfect? No. None of them would be perfect because they're run by people, but that is pure in their motives. Right. And then you get to go in and see what feels like a good fit. What has the taste yeah. that you crave, the methods that you're like, oh, I vibe with that. Pastors, before we close, for you, pastors, it's hard, but just know that some of the people that leave your church need to leave your church because they're looking for a different, or some of the people who come one time or two times, you're like, why didn't I see them again? What's going on? If your heart's pure, you're a church that can help heal people's hearts and you've got great motives, but you still have people that you see come and go. Sometimes we need to be more kingdom-minded rather than church-minded, our own church mind, and say, you know what? This person likes Italian and that person likes Mexican and that person likes a little diner with 10 stools at the counter and that person loves a a sprawling restaurant. Mm -hmm. Back to the restaurant thing, not every church is one size fits all. And as pastors, good hearted pastors, it can be painful to watch people go. And, and sometimes, and I'm talking to a certain subset of pastors, sometimes we just have to know that God has a different methodology, a different style for them. And that's okay. Because I think there's going to be people that listen to all these podcasts that there's some hurt there, right? Like you said today, all of us have a pile of bones in our closets. We've all got dirt under our fingernails and we've got life that we've endured and maybe we've hurt people ourselves. And uh, we're just going to continue to have open conversations about the rise after the fall because guys, there's hope on both ends of what we talked about. There is hope. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in 
the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Whew. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had, had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're gonna give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're gonna give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're gonna give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.